0: Welcome to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsome, a podcast of Journey Church International.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for listening to Activate, a podcast designed to not only talk about faith, but to challenge you to make it an active part of your life. I'm Brandon Reeb, and we're excited you are hanging out with us again today. I'm joined by Christian Newsom, Pastor of Journey Church International in Lee Summit, Missouri. And today we will be having a conversation about a recent message from our Better Together series. We love to start off each podcast episode with a question or two from our listeners, and I want to ask you a question today, Pastor Christian, from a listener that has it's actually a combination of a couple ideas. From previous podcasts, uh, a listener writes, My husband suffers from severe anxiety and depression. He at times dislikes the way he's been made. He is anxiety-ridden, and it truly and a deeply affects the fruits of his spirit, especially joy and
0: peace. How can anxiety be pruned out of his life? Well, first I would say thanks for the question, um, you know, and I might be over analyzing the question just a bit, but the words "severe anxiety and depression" would actually brandon cause me to look below the surface um, at more than spiritual fruit at more than spiritual habits the more i've uh, the more time I've spent with my counselor, the more that I understand that depression and anxiety. Um, In severe cases, they aren't just a lack of trusting God. It's not just a lack of spiritual fruit. But sometimes they're very real mental health issues that demand care from a doctor. Listen, just like physical health issues demand care for a doctor doesn't mean anything is horribly wrong, but there might not be a quick fix. So I would go with your husband to see a Christian counselor. Uh, we can recommend some if you need us to by reaching out to us at activate at takethejourney.cc. Just let us know this was your question and, and ask for the list of counselors we'd recommend where you live. Um, and I'd ask this counselor if there's something deeper in your husband's history or life that needs to be treated or talked through so that he can experience the peace and joy that God wants him to have. It, it's a great question. It comes from the fruit inspection list that we looked at. So it's a great self-evaluation. And I think the Apostle Paul would say, look, examine your life. And if there's something deeper than fruit in your life, man, let's let's get to the root of that. So sometimes we're looking at fruit. Sometimes we've got to go below below that, and we got to look at the roots. Um, so that that's what I would do. And and I really appreciate uh, whoever asked this question, trusting us enough to ask it. So to it's a big, deeply personal question. Right. Thank you, Christian. You you too can
1: ask Pastor Christian uh, a, messi- or a question as well. Send us an email to activate at cc. Again, thank you, Christian, for answering that. Let's dive into your message. It was a really good message. And oftentimes in preparation for a message, a pastor will discover that the, the Message speaks to their heart well before it's even delivered to an audience. I'm I'm curious. What what have you learned or discovered in preparation for the Better Together series that you'd like to share with us?
0: Yeah, so I would say, Brandon, not often time, every time a message speaks to my heart before I give it. You know, I'm not I'm not a teacher. I'm a Christian. You know, and I mean, I teach and I preach, but I'm not teaching what I'm learning. I'm teaching what I'm experiencing. Hopefully, if if I'm doing a good job. Uh, so, in this series. Yeah, has really hit my heart, and and I think it's this, that the depth of love in Ephesians 5 that Paul assumes that I have for Jesus as a Christian. Paul says, to understand marriage, you have to understand your relationship with Jesus, but he assumes my relationship with Jesus is healthy, and he points out some things um, that are deeper than my connection with Jesus, that are more committed than my commitment, that are more submissive than my submission, that are more trusting then my trust that serve more deeply than I serve, that sacrifice more than I've ever been willing to, uh, and that are motivated by a different level of love. Those words, those things applied to my relationship with Jesus have challenged what I would call the simplicity of my faith a month ago to a new and deeper level of love and commitment to jesus second to then turn and try to apply that exact same level of love to my spouse danielle i mean it makes me feel like i've been kind of at a junior high level of love compared to what paul's talking about even in my marriage um compared to what paul says i should be doing and loving my wife so it's it's been massively eye-opening um and big time challenging for me good well thank you thank you
1: for sharing that so let's dive in. Christian, let's go behind the text a little bit. Let's go deeper into Ephesians chapter 5. It says in verse 31 and 32, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. Christian, can you dig into that specific statement a little bit more for us?
0: Yeah, I can. not So I'm a bit weird um, in that I read the Bible as if somebody is talking to me, and I often interrupt. I probably do. I I know I do this in conversation because Danielle always says, "Let me finish." But I I mean, if if I if if something hits my mind, I have to ask a question, and I in and in reading my Bible, this allows me to actually learn a lot more. So when I read, for this reason, people get married with not a lot of background in Ephesians five, I stopped and said, "For what reason?" Like, hang on, Paul, you lost me. For this reason, people get married. I stopped and said, "For what reason?" I, I want that to be a little clearer. And he quotes an Old Testament verse, and here's what we need to understand in the year 2017. New Testament writers never vaguely referenced an Old Testament text unless they believe their audience understood the backstory. So for us to get what Paul's saying, we have to know Genesis 1 and 2 like his readers did. It doesn't make sense unless we do. So the mystery question is why do people get married? Right? Paul says, for this reason. Well, what reason? Why do people get married? And Paul says, well, because of what it says in Genesis. Well, what's it say in Genesis? Well, Genesis 2.18, after Adam had been created and placed in the garden, said God looked at him and said, it's not good for a man to be alone. I'm going to make a helper suitable for him. So the first man and woman came along because the man needed a helper, but it wasn't a servant. The word helper in the Hebrew language, it's the word ezer, E-Z-E-R with like a backwards quotation mark at the front. It's a Hebrew word used by the military to describe strategic reinforcements it's it's a word to describe something that you cannot be victorious without something that you cannot succeed without so god saw man alone and said why do people get married um and, and we keep reading in genesis 19 and 20 and 24 it says the lord god had formed out of the ground all the wild animals all the birds he brought him to the man to see what he'd name them whatever the man called the living creature that was his name so the man gave names to all the livestock the birds the wild animals but for adam No suitable helper was found. So God saw that Adam needed a suitable helper. Now Adam has seen that Adam needs a suitable helper. All going back to the question, why do people get married? Verse 24, that's what Paul quotes. This is the reason a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. So for this reason, people get married. Why? Why do people get married? Well, Paul says people get married so they have a helper in life To help them achieve what God has created them and called them to do with their lives that they cannot achieve on their own. I've heard it said that a wife should be a spiritual challenger to their husband. That sounds really neat. That's not correct, according to Ephesians 5. Paul's saying a wife should be spiritual reinforcements for their husbands. That's way better. Not someone who's always challenging spiritually, but someone who's always helping spiritually. And I know very few people, Brandon and by very few I mean zero, who got married for this reason. Well, I got married because I wanted someone help to help me be all that God created me to be. But I know a lot of people who have moved to this place in their lives and in their marriages. They now want to complement each other and, and help each other be God's best for them. And it's really a beautiful picture to see. It becomes a picture of the gospel, Jesus and God working together to reach humanity. Um, and for those of you who are single— you need to realize in Jesus you're complete. Right? I mean in Jesus you are whole. But if one day you want to be married or you desire to be married or you think God's leading you to be married, this becomes your greatest filter. Who has God created you to be? What has God called you to do? And who can strategically reinforce that so you're better at it? That that's what that's what Paul says when he says for this reason Paul assumes we know all that. I did not know all that. By finding out that, because I like to interrupt and ask questions, I, I learned a lot. That was really good. In fact,
1: that's why you've got to continue listening to this podcast, because everything you just said, Christian, was not in your message. Right, yeah, That I, I had to take it out because I don't get enough time on Sunday. So you have to tell your friends about this podcast, because that answer to that question could be absolutely life-changing for some people that you know. Um, Christian, thank you for that. Uh, you stated in your message, husbands, your role is not to provide a life for your wife and family, but to breed life into their spirit And in their spiritual purpose as impactful as this is to us as husbands. Can you tell us how this statement can apply to all Christian relationships and friendships?
0: I can, Brandon, and probably that statement's too broad. I mean, as I listen to you say it, I I should say, husbands, your primary role is not to provide because your role is to provide, you know, for your wife and your kids. You do provide. I mean, the New Testament even says if you don't provide, you're like worse than an unbeliever if you don't take care of your family. But your primary role is to breathe life into their spirit. And here's the deal. Not just as a husband for a wife, but as a Christian for anyone you interact with. It all started with this impossible challenge from Hebrew, from Ephesians chapter 5. That a husband produces a holy wife, a radiant wife, a wife without stain, wrinkle, blemish, a blameless wife, the glorified spiritual version of the wife. It's like, there's no way we could do this. That's what Jesus does. And Paul's like, right. Help Jesus do that. But I found in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 20, Paul said, actually, all Christians help all people do this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has now committed to us that message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands, you are the personal assistant of Jesus to your wife. Paul says in Second Corinthians 5, Christians, you are God's, you are Jesus' personal assistant in the life of everyone you know on behalf of Christ. Love them and draw out who they are in their spiritual best.
1: Thank you, that was good.
0: Again, in your message, you make a powerful and
1: convicting point, uh, particularly to, to us as husbands. You stated one of the primary roles of a husband is to cultivate the spiritual best in our spouses. Can you provide some real practical ways that we can work to
0: cultivate the best in not just our wives, but in all people, our kids, our families, our friends? Great question. How do we become Christ's ambassadors? Well, we got we to act like Jesus, and we have to approach people with the spirit of Jesus. And I would say that Jesus had three things in his spirit operating kind of in equal parts that allow Jesus to be Jesus, right? Love, truth, and grace. Um, love without truth is, is really enabling. Truth without love is just harsh, But when love and truth operate in grace, you can really lead and love someone well. So how do I cultivate my spouse's spiritual best? How do I cultivate the spiritual best in anyone that I know? Um, If you're taking notes or you print out the podcast notes, here's what you need to know. First, always operate out of a spirit of love. I mean, always operate out of a spirit of love. Jesus actually said in Mark chapter 11, if you stand praying and hold anything against anyone, forgive them. And then go to them. You know, I've actually taught my kids the wrong way to forgive. I read that verse and I thought, whoops, that's that's not what I've done. I've taught my kids, Danielle and I, we have a standing role in our house that when someone apologizes, you have to say, I forgive you. And what that teaches them is that when someone says they're sorry, then you forgive them. That's not what Jesus says, though. Jesus said when you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, like if you have a problem with someone, you forgive them. And then you go tell them what they did to hurt you. You don't wait for them to apologize. You don't wait for them to initiate it. As soon as you, in your heart you realize there's an area, you stop, you forgive. You love first. We said forgiveness is a choice, not an emotion. Proverbs 19.11 says it's to one's glory to overlook an offense. Where glory means to make look great. It makes you look good to overlook an offense. So you got to operate out of a spirit of love. And if you can't do that, forgive someone. Say, well, they haven't apologized. Doesn't matter. You forgive them. Then you go to them and say, hey, here's what happened. I've already forgived you, forgiven you. I just want you to be aware of it. Um, secondly, you've, you've got to be willing to tell the truth. So you've got to love people. But loving someone without telling them tr- the truth is not loving them. I mean, it's not real love if you don't tell them the truth. But Paul says in Philippians 4, 5, let your gentleness be known to all. So when you lovingly tell someone the truth, you do it gently. You do it in love. You don't do it with any offense. You let them know I've gotten over the offense. I've forgiven you, but I, I need to be honest. I need to be truthful as I try to help you, you know, see what you're supposed to be at your spiritual best. But then you have to wrap that truth in grace. Um, and then you, you have to do it in the measure of grace that God has shown to you. And here's the deal. Grace will respond in mercy to all failures because without grace, we are all failures. And let me say that again, right? Grace will respond in mercy to all failures. Because without grace, we are all failures. The only reason we've been forgiven and given a second chance is because God has shown us grace. So grace is the thing, grace is the emotion inside of you that says, me too. Grace is that thing that says, listen, I know you really let me down, but I've really let someone down in the past. I get it. So, you know, me too. So I'm not really judging. I'm making you aware of something. I'm making you aware of a truth with love. But grace is like without any judgment, just me too. I, you know, I, I get that too. I'll never forget years ago working with a counselor, working through some things with some people who had who had really hurt me. They'd kind of wounded me deeply. And what I wanted more than anything was for the counselor to hear my story and say, shame on them. I can't believe they've done that. I feel so sorry for you. And every time I would talk about you know, how these people had hurt me, he would listen and then he'd stop and say, now do you realize that's how, you, how you've hurt Jesus? And I'd say, I don't want to hear about me and Jesus right now. I need you to hear how this person has hurt me. And he'd say, until you understand the way you've been hurt is the way you hurt Jesus every time you sin, this is never going to be resolved. This is on you. You can't have grace until you understand how you've hurt Jesus, until you can look at these people and say, I can't believe they've treated me that way. But you know what? Me, too. That's how I treat Jesus. And he has shown me grace. So I'll show them grace. Grace is the me, too. Quotient. Grace says, me, too. You did something stupid. I've probably done something that stupid or worse. If not to you, I've done it to Jesus. So me, too. So love, truth, and grace operate together grace with mercy will understand all failures because without grace we are all failures that was really powerful christian that was awesome thank
1: you bud let's let's end today with this statement from your message it says this a christian marriage doesn't change how we treat the things that are important it actually changes what's most important how have the past three weeks shown us that having a marriage is really about changing our perspectives and objectives more than um, than any magic secrets to a, a better marriage?
0: Brandon, we're not taught that marriage is important. I mean, I think we kind of intrinsically know it's a big deal. But I said in the very first message of this series, if you went and asked the little kids in our kids' ministry, what do you want to be when you grow up? None of them would have said a great husband or a great wife. We don't teach people at their earliest stages, how important it is to be a great husband and a great wife. Um, I was with friends from our church right after uh, I gave a message a few weeks ago on marriage, and they sat down and they said, we have never had anyone tell us that it has to be a goal to be a great husband or a great wife. And no one ever told me how hard that would be to have that happen. You know, we're raised kind of thinking marriage is just one long extended date. I right? like, if you love dating, you're going to love marriage because the date never ends. Wrong. Like, you know, the date ends as soon as you get home from the honeymoon, if it even lasts that long, right? So we're not taught marriage is hard. Marriage is work. Marriage has roles. Marriage has to have priority. So we know how to do things that are important to us. We just have to apply that to our marriage. Um, everyone has at least one thing in their life that they're good at because they work at it real hard because it's important to them. I'm saying, Let your marriage be that one thing that is most important, and you'll be better at it. That's good. Christian, can I throw in a bonus
1: question here at the end? I think we have just a little bit of time. Um, You ended your message uh, this last week with a moment of vow renewal. Husbands and wives stood and faced each other and recommitted their lives to Jesus and to each other. Uh, Speak for a moment to the individuals who are in a struggling marriage like right now, Uh, To do something like a vow renewal in front of people would just feel extremely awkward, and even privately would just be really awkward. To begin to make changes for positive in any marriage oftentimes feels awkward. How can we fight through that awkwardness for the sake of our marriages?
0: Well, let me say this first. Um, Getting separated and getting divorced are awkward. So if your choice is... You know, face something to help my marriage that's awkward or let it fall apart, it's even more awkward. So you have no choice but to face awkward. Um, And you can't avoid it in a struggling marriage because here's why. When we grow comfortable in our discontent, we're in crisis. I'm going to say that again because somebody who's listening should write that down. When we grow comfortable in our discontent, we're in crisis. When we'd be more comfortable in a bad marriage than addressing it, you're in a crisis. It's almost too late. Here's what I mean by that. When it's more comfortable to remain in a bad marriage than it is valuable to fix it, you're in trouble. Um, you have to risk comfort for healing. You have to be willing to endure awkward so that you might have awesome. And if you have to fight for two meaning your spouse isn't up for it now, so you're going to fight as a husband, like you're going to fight for the both of you, for awesome, um, do it. Go see a pastor by yourself. Go see a counselor by yourself. Um, state the renewal vows in a mirror to yourself. You are committing to who God has called you to be. Be all in and just pray that your spouse will follow. Bleed for both of you, lead for yourself, but just go. Don't Settle for awkward, because when we become comfortable in discontent, we're in crisis.
1: That was good. Thank you, Christian. So before we leave today, we're wrapping up the Better Together series. Give us a sneak peek um, at the new series coming up at
0: JCI. So excited for the new series that we're getting ready to start. So we've just entered a spiritual season called Lent, L-E-N-T, Lent. Uh, which is a spiritual season. It's a 40-day period that backs up from the Last Supper, backs up from Passover. In in 2017, that's March 1st through April 13th. So people are already kind of, we're a couple days into it right now. And it's often a time where people really try to make strong spiritual commitments to prepare their hearts for Easter weekend and really focus on Easter. So during this 40-day period, we're going to focus on the seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. They're the only recorded statements from Jesus in the most brutal six to eight hours of his life. You're going to be amazed at how focused Jesus was on us instead of himself while he was on the cross. Um, so tune in and be here for these weeks leading up to Easter. Awesome. Looking forward to it, Christian. Perhaps I speak for all listeners today. Thank you, Christian, for
1: your wisdom, your insight, for challenging us in our Better Together series Uh, This has been a tremendous series. And thank you for listening today. Uh, We pray that our conversations today make your conversations this week a little easier and more impactful. We'll catch you next time on the Activate podcast where we challenge you to build a faith that is active.
0: Thank you for listening to Activate with Pastor Christian Newsom, a podcast of Journey Church International. As you heard in this episode, Christian answered several questions from some of our listeners. You might have a question you'd like to ask as well. To submit that question, all you need to do is send us an email to activate at takethejourney.cc. If you have enjoyed this podcast, we ask that you show your support by subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes. Also, share this episode with all your friends on social media. Thanks again for listening, and we will
1: catch you next time on the Activate Podcast.